Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads back to Las Vegas for UFC 250 this weekend. Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer. We will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as our other two favorite fights on the main card. And they are two very excited weight contests. So we're going to be breaking all three of those down, plus giving you our favorite underdog to play and a nice little parlay to play as well as part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment. And then we will also be talking with two fighters on the card. First, we're going to be talking to Sugar Sean O'Malley as he gets ready for his bout with Eddie Wineland. And we'll be talking to Alex Perez, who is getting ready for his bout with Juicier Formiga. And he's also got some choice words for Joseph Benavidez. So I highly suggest stay in tune for that interview because it's going to be an absolute fire one. But before we get to that, I got to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you train boxing, kickboxing, sambo, jujitsu, or any martial art, they've got you covered as a great way for you to track your training sessions, maybe how many you've had over weeks or months, different periods of time, as well as ways where you can track notes and things that you want to work on competitions, weigh-ins, they've got it all under one roof. Wherever you download apps, make sure you download Maroon Social. Maroon Social brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Sugar Sean O'Malley, who fights Eddie Wineland at UFC 250 on June 6th. So, Sean, I want to start by talking about your last fight. You go out there after being you know, out of the cage for over two years. You fight Jose Alberto Quinanez, who's certainly no slouch. You pick up a big head kick with a follow-up TKO. Just tell us how you felt being in there after the first time in two years. Yeah, I felt, um, you know, I felt like I belonged in there. I felt like it was, you know, it, it felt normal. Um, it felt good. It was, you know, it's hard to describe the, the feeling when you're in there, especially being out for two years, knowing that I belong in there, knowing I didn't do anything wrong. There's no reason I shouldn't be in there. So, yeah, it felt good. And, and a lot of people talk about ring rust, too. Obviously, you were only in there for two minutes, but did you feel like your old self? Yeah, I felt I like I said before that fight. This is gonna be the Sugar Show 2.0, uh, and that's exactly what it was. I felt twice as good as I've ever felt from a strength and conditioning standpoint. From a, my skill level had improved a lot. Um, you know, I've always showed up. Every single fight I've ever had, I've shown up. Even the fights I lost, like when I was an amateur, I lost because my skill level wasn't wasn't where it needed to be. Not not that I didn't show up. I've never not shown up. Um, so, yeah, I knew I was going to show up. There was no issue with that. There was no, like, oh, I haven't fought in a while. I don't know if I'm going to – I show up and I, I perform. So I, there was no issue with that. And, and you mentioned strength and conditioning in there, too. You looked a lot physically stronger than, you know, we had seen you two years prior. W- was that a big focus over the time off? Yeah, it was a huge focus. I met um, a guy named Brandon Harris here in Phoenix. He, he owns his own gym, PFS. And um, he's actually one of my really good friends now. But he, he – uh, he really took my me to another level um, as far as like, I was getting injured every week. At least something was getting hurt. Um, I never had a strict strength and conditioning, um, like a routine or anything. And 
you know, now I'm, I'm working with, with him three days a week. And even if it's a recovery session, even if I go in there and uh, he puts me in certain positions and I breathe, we stretch, we, we do, you know, we do do all that. And I think that's really what's kind of up my game the most. And, and you, you said that, you know, you, you had never really had that program and some of the, the thought is probably how many injuries you were having, but what led you to go to somebody to get a more strict strength and conditioning regimen? Well, I had met him previous before, previously before all that. And he just kept saying, dude, let me, let me work with you. I really think I can improve your game. And, uh, I, after I had, I had that foot surgery, you know, I was having hip issues. So I had hip surgery um at a torn labrum and and i was just like all right i'm gonna go i'm gonna go check out this guy and see how i like it and it's just like i'd go and i'd leave and i'm like oh my god i feel way i feel so much better and then i'd go again i'd leave i'd feel way better so it just it just uh you know it, it worked out perfect it did work out perfect and speaking of working out perfect i want to start talking about this next fight because you know you had that two-year layoff you want to stay active now how excited were you when the ufc came to you with a chance to fight again you know only a few months after that last one yeah i knew i was going to be fight i I was healthy leaving that fight i knew i was going to be able to get back in there within a couple months um and it was it was literally perfect timing june 6th is a perfect date i couldn't you know it's it's a perfect date to get back in there um Especially with everything going on, I've been able to con- I've been able to continue to train, no issues, no I haven't missed any practices. I didn't get out of shape. I didn't, you know, I, I'm I'm so ready for this fight. I'm so excited to get back in there. It's a perfect time. Absolutely, and let's talk about the opponent too, because you know a lot of the people who who do look to disparage your career have said that maybe you haven't fought a big enough name yet to really test you. What was your reaction when they offered you Eddie Wineland? Because he seems like you know that veteran name that you really need to build off of. Yeah, I don't really listen to what people say too much, <laughs> just because I can literally go out there and beat Henry Cejudo. They say, yeah, but he's five four. They would say something stupid, <laughs> like they, people just are so stupid. It doesn't. You know, I listen to the good stuff. Um, you know, I hear the bad stuff. It doesn't it doesn't really bother me. I'm gonna go out there and beat up Eddie, and people are gonna say he he's washed up. He's older. He's he's 35. He's, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know. I, when they offered me Eddie, I was it was perfect. I was like, hell yeah, that's a perfect fight for me. Um, let's do it. So I gotta ask too, because you say you try to block out a lot of that that negative stuff and keep the the positive stuff in there. I, I know you're a big Twitch streamer, and obviously that means fans have a little bit more access to you as a as a celebrity or as a, a pro fighter. Do you feel like you get a lot of that negativity there too, or is that mostly a positive place? I'd say it's about 98% positive, even maybe 99. There's every once in a while, there there's guys that come in there and they're, you know, they're, they're they say some stupid stuff, but for the most part, my, my Twitch fam handles them. They, they roast them, they burn them down and they get them out of there. So it's, it's not too bad. I don't like people will say stuff and I just, I don't know. I just, it doesn't bother me really. What you could say anything and, and it's just not really going to affect me. Well, well, it's good that your your Twitch fans have your back like that. Uh, but of course, yeah. you, they will not have your back in the cage when you're fighting Eddie Wineland. And I do need to ask you as we wrap up this interview: Do you got a prediction for this fight? How do you see this one going? I, I, I every time I get asked how I see any of my fights going, it's just literally a first round KO. I, I just when I when I know I know how fast I am, I know how accurate I am. He doesn't keep his hands up. He, he's kind of reckless, and uh, I feel like my my striking is you know some of the highest in the UFC highest level MMA striking um, there is. So I feel like I get it done in one. 
All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. That was Sugar Sean O'Malley, who fights Eddie Wineland at UFC 250 on June 6th. Sean, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Hell yeah, no problem. And that interview with Sugar Sean O'Malley is brought to you by BattleClan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com for gear that not only looks phenomenal, but also feels great too. And that's really what we're looking for when you're looking for great grappling gear, right? Like you're looking for spats, not only that look really nice, but also that feel really nice. And BattleClan Gear has got you covered there. Plus, if you head to BattleClanGear.com right now and you use promo code TURTLEUP10, that's T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-1-0, you're going to get 10% off your whole order there. So stock up now while you're waiting to get back into training mode because now is the time to grab it. This is Daniel Gumby for England with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Alex Perez, who fights Juicy A Formiga at UFC 250 on June 6th. So, Alex, I want to start by talking about the opponent change. Because originally, back in May, you were supposed to fight Kai Kara France. And obviously, things got postponed. The dust settles a bit, and they go with Juicy A Formiga, who's actually a higher-ranked opponent. What were your thoughts on the change of opponents when they offered it to you? Um... Nothing really, man. I'm I'm here to fight whoever they put in front of me. Uh, didn't really think about it too much. They said a name, and I said yes. Just give me the time and place. Absolutely, and I think a lot of fighters are in the same shoes as you. What about stylistically, though? You know, obviously you were in a training camp for Kai Kara France, who is a little bit more of a heavy striker. Did you feel like you had to lean a little bit more on your wrestling against a guy like Juicy A Formica? Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. Uh, just serves more of a of a grappler, but I mean, I wrestle all the time. I grapple all the time. So it wasn't that big of a change. Uh, I'm, I train to be good everywhere in and out of camp. So, um, not, nothing really changed for me. It was the same, just, you know, obviously game plan a little different, obviously spent a little bit more time on certain areas, but other than that, I mean, I train the ground all the time. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I did hear, too, that you are friends with Juicy A Formiga. Did, did that run across your mind at all when it, it came time to accept this fight? Um, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, I'm not saying we're the best of friends and stuff like that, but we talked here and there. I met this guy, man, almost about 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, we kept in contact throughout the years and stuff. Uh, and no, not really. It, it's business. It's, um, I mean... I don't take it at anything personal. If he beats me, great. If I beat him, great. You know, like it's not like I hate the guy. I need. I don't need. I don't need a reason to fight. Like to hate like someone to fight them. Uh, for me, it's just business, man. Uh, I'm like, I don't take anything personal. I, I like that too, and and that's probably the the best way to be there in there mentally. Now, you said you don't take anything personal. I, I'm looking at the the bout card right now, top to bottom. It's an exciting fight card. But I also see that you and Juzier are listed to fight on the second prelim. Does that kind of stuff cross your mind either? Not really, man. I get paid the same whether I'm the first fight or the last fight. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> um, it means more time to eat afterwards. <laughs> I'm in Vegas, get to go go pig out a little bit after the fights, enjoy enjoy the other fights. But I mean, it doesn't really affect me much. Like I said, I rather be in and out. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, where you're coming from in your career because you have a, a sneaky good record in the UFC right now. You're 5-1, and one, uh, and that only loss is to Joseph Benavides, who, as you know, is probably going to be fighting again for the title here in a rematch. What do you feel like is you've improved on the most since that fight? Um, everything. I've Like, even into the fight, I, I mean, people... 
uh, like Joe's over here bitching about the headbutt, you know, but he headbutted me. He told me in the back, like, hey, yeah, it was my headbutt that dropped you. You know what I mean? So uh, I feel like I, I feel I was doing great in that fight. Just got caught with something, and uh, I'm just getting better everywhere on my feet, on the ground, my wrestling. I'm improving all, in all areas. You know, the time I took off from the injury, I was getting better at certain things. But, you know, just I'm always improving, always trying to learn, always trying to get better. I actually want to take it a little bit back to, to something you said in there, too, because you mentioned it kind of quick. You, you said when you saw him in the back after that fight, he admitted that it was a headbutt that dropped you? Yeah. I mean, it, like if everybody looks at the film, he just runs into me with his head, you know, and then all the other stuff happened after. But um, it is what it is. I'm not going to bitch and be a crybaby like him, uh, and complain about headbutts and stuff and keep crying about, keep crying about you know, a rematch and stuff. Um I, I don't see him winning that fight any way possible. So I mean, it's the same result is going to happen. So I mean, I mean, hopefully he does win. Because then when I fight him for the title, when I fight him for the title, I can take that title and get and re, get revenge. But if not, it is what it is. And, and just out of curiosity too, why do you think he has such a low percentage shot of winning this fight with with Davidson Federado? Um, I mean, he took him to the ground where I thought it was the only chance he can beat him. Almost got armbarred. And then on the feet, Figueroa has too much power for him. He's too big. He pushes him back. I mean, Joe was punching him six, seven times, and Figueroa just smiled at him, you know? So, obviously, you can't hurt him on the feet. And if you can't take him down and pin, and, and submit him, you're kind of in for a rough fight. Yeah, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. And now, you know, so obviously, you know, you, you'd feel really good in a rematch with Joseph Benavides. I got to imagine at 6-1 and one in the UFC, if you win this fight, you're you're not that far out of that question, out of that title picture. How far do you think you are away? Uh, I'm not too sure, man. I'm not really worried about all that. Uh, I got to win this fight, and then uh, you know there's other guys in line, other guys that are fighting as well. So um, just got to win this fight and then go from here. Got to figure out what's next after that. But my main focus is uh, on uh, next Saturday. All right, and we're going to ask you the almighty question for next Saturday. What's your prediction when all of this goes down? How does this one end? Uh, honestly, I, I visualize myself winning every way. Uh, knockout, submission, decision. I just know that I'm coming in there with the best version of myself, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be the best version of himself. So I honestly think this could be five of the night. We can still the show, uh, you know, two flyweights that come in shape and get ready to battle that are good everywhere. I feel like he's good on his feet. I'm good on my feet. I feel like our, our grappling is great. You know, um, I'm just, I'm ready for a 15 minute war. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this was Alex Perez who fights Juicy A Formiga at UFC 250 on June 6th. Alex, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Hey man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed those two interviews, both one with Sean O'Malley and with Alex Perez. Now, Dave, I, I want to talk a little bit about Sean O'Malley said about people always wanting and always having a tendency to, to write off up-and-comers in MMA and to always try to put them down. Do you think people have a tendency to do that with up-and-comers in MMA? You know what? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think our man should have gone like beyond to something. And I'll tell you why I think that is. Tell me if you agree, disagree, Gumby. I feel as though from the get-go, this guy was brimming with personality, is actually a good fighter, and you could just feel the UFC marketing machine want to get behind him from jump. And I feel like hardcore UFC fans are a bit 
you know, maybe triggered after living through the Sage and Page era where they see a guy who they know the UFC marketing machine and Dana White want to push, but they're not necessarily ready to just say he's the greatest thing since sliced bread yet. And I think that might stem from why people try to, you know, maybe shoot him down or say, oh, he's not that great for as young as he is and, and this and that. But I get the sense because the machine is behind him, some fans want to kind of bring him down. Yeah, well, and, and you know, you mentioned that they're reluctant because of Page and Sage, too, right? And how pretty much neither of those two worked out. But you also have to remember, too, people were reluctant about Conor McGregor coming up, right? How many people wrote off Conor McGregor? Well, he's never fought a wrestler. Okay, well, he's fought a wrestler, but the wrestler didn't have a good training camp. Oh, oh he may have ended against Dennis Seaver. Who the hell cares? You know, like, constantly people were writing off Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor's skills. And only in looking back at Conor McGregor's record now do we look back and be like, Oh, he fucking beat Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier during this run, right? Like, so, I mean, like, I, I feel like, yeah, you're right. We have a tendency to be skeptical, but I don't even know that that skepticism is even just because of Page and Sage. I think it's something a little bit more innate. Yeah, you're probably right. Because the other thing is, too, it's, you know, I brought them up because they're the classic example. And they were both very phony is a good word i think to describe them and sugar sean is anything but phony yeah, he's authentic true. he almost reminds me of that like you know tough talk and real as it gets diaz kind of style but i think what i meant to really bring up is like this is a guy who when he was i think two and oh got his own reebok shirt and i think that's where fans get their antenna up and they're like wait a minute wait a minute i'm not ready to love this guy just yet you know let me see him beat someone in the top 10 uh, that's kind of what I think some of the backlash is and where people start pointing out like, oh, he's not that good. He's not that good. But you know what? He's a young up and coming fighter. I mean, they're going to be growing things, right? Yeah. And, and I think the win over Jose Alberto Quinanez is a bigger win than people realize because he was on such a good run too. And while people, he's 100% right, will write off a victory over Eddie Wineland should he beat him this weekend. I think, you know, you look at Eddie Wineland as a, a quality opponent and some guy who's, you know, basically in the top 15 anyway. I just hope this gets him the actual top 15 matchup. This gets him the fight with somebody like, you know, Cody Stamen, or this gets him a fight with Rob Font or something like that. Well, you say he's on a good run. We're on a good run. It's our favorite segment. It's time. It's time for Fight Dogs and Parlays. Of course, breaking down UFC 250, we're very good at what we do. So you might want to take some notes and contact your bookie when we're done with this. Of course, I say that now. Watch us just get all of this wrong, and you can hate us later. And, of course, give us feedback on our Twitter, at MMA. We'll be tweeting during the fights. You can thank us. You can hate us. But let's get going with some advice and a little bit of a breaky breakdown. Amanda Nunes, the GOAT female fighter of all time, is defending... The 145-pound strap, and she is a minus 550 favorite against Felicia Spencer, but you could get as a plus 400 dog. Give me the path to victory, if there even is one, for Felicia Spencer. I already know you're picking Nunes. Yeah, I'm picking Nunes, obviously. And here's the thing. I think the path to victory is pretty clear. Felicia Spencer has to work her way inside and somehow turn this into a jiu-jitsu match, somehow turn this into a grappling match, and on top of that, I think she needs to turn it into a grappling match where she's on top. And, and to me, 
that is just a non-factor here against somebody like Amanda Nunes because she's going to have to work her way inside and probably eat some punches in the process. She ate some punches fighting Cyborg. She ate some punches fighting uh, Fareem Dos Santos too, which you know, it is not all that great of a boxer. So like when we see her fighting against somebody who has ridiculous KO power, has knocked out any woman who has ever been in a GOAT conversation, really, I think she is in a world of hurt here. And to be honest with you, if you are sitting at home thinking to yourself, do I bet on a fight where Amanda Nunes is betting off at negative 550? If your bookmaker is still giving you those odds, if when this hits your ears, those odds have not fluctuated, definitely go bet on this one. I think negative 550 is not nearly high enough. I would absolutely unload the bankroll on that one. Well, you can unload the bank on the fact that I am so excited about what's happening in the 135-pound division this weekend. I'm like a 10 out of 10 level excited for Aljo versus Corey Sanhagen, Garbrandt versus Rafa Sunsau. It's almost like a mini tournament, a Grand Prix, if you will, Let's start with Aljo versus Sanhagen first. They are both betting off at minus 110. Vegas doesn't know what to make of this matchup. What do you make of this matchup? I actually think there's a lot of value on Aljamain Sterling here and possibly even Aljamain Sterling by submission. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of Corey Sanhagen. He's been on the show a couple of times, as has Aljamain Sterling. I don't want to disparage anything about Corey Sanhagen, but my big concern with him and fighting somebody like Aljamain Sterling is his takedown defense is not pristine. He has been taken down by guys like Mario Batista on short notice, which, you know, like Mar not to disparage Mario Batista, but like Mario Batista should not be taking you down if you were a top five Bantamweight. Now, that being said, he is able to beat a lot of the guys who aren't huge grappling threats in the division. And, and I think he will continue to beat a lot of the guys who aren't huge grappling threats. But as we talked about on our previous show, I think Aljamain Sterling is the premier grappling threat in this division. I think between his striking or his, the way he sets up his takedowns with his striking, the actual takedowns themselves and his submission game, I think he is amazing on the ground, and I think that this is a clear path to victory here for Aljamain Sterling. He's beaten really tough wrestlers in the past, and I don't think Corey Sanhagen is even a really tough wrestler. You know, I love the 135-pound division so much, and Rasa Sunsau is a guy for me who has really just always been a perennial contender for what feels like, you know, what, six years now? I mean... He beat T.J. Dillashaw, if I'm not mistaken, the year before T.J. Dillashaw won his title against Henan Burrell uh, circa 2014. So this is a guy who's really been in the top five for the past seven years. You could bet on two things in the 135-pound division. Dominic Cruz is injured, but still a great fighter. <laughs> and Rafa Sunsau, who's also dealt with some injuries, but is near the top of the division. He's a plus-120 dog here. To the former champ himself, Cody Garbrandt, a minus 140 favorite. Curious who you got here, and if Asansa were to win, how does he do it as the underdog? So I, I first of all, am picking Rafael Asansa uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, I mentioned the fact that I don't have a lot of faith in Corey Sanhagen's wrestling defense. Asansa is part of the reason. Asansa took him down four times in their matchup. Now, he did eventually lose a decision there because he was not able to keep... Corey Sanhagen down and not to return to our analysis of Aljamain Sterling but I think that's where Sterling can beat Sanhagen whereas a Sun Tzu cannot but the other thing I'm going to take here is just that 
I think Rafael Asensio is a better defensive striker. And I think that this is going to be really important here because he is so smart defensively that he's not going to get pulled into a firefight with Corey, or with uh, Cody Garbrandt. And Corey, Cody Garbrandt is going to try to force that, that firefight. That's what he's done in every fight in the last... I mean, like, since he started this massive losing streak, right? Like, he started trying to just slug it out with TJ Dillashaw. And TJ Dillashaw, being a little bit more elusive, slipped it and hit him. You could say the same thing about Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz is a better defensive striker than Cody Garbrand and was able to avoid the big shots and force Cody to make a mistake. And I think, really, that's what a Sun Sao is going to do here. I think a lot of people sleep on a Sun Sao's power, uh, he's a guy who knocked out Matthew Lopez, which is, you know, Matthew Lopez, not a big name in the Bantamweight division, but a reasonable name. He also outstruck Marlon Marias in their first bout, right? And like Marlon Marias, currently ranked number one at Bantamweight. You know, you mentioned the fact that he beat TJ Dillashaw all the way back then. It's because he's got really great defensive striking. And I think that that's really the thing that is going to take him ahead of, um, Cody Garbrandt in this fight, and I was just pulling up the numbers as I was talking here. Rafael Asuncao's strikes absorbed per minute is 2.35, okay, which is a minuscule number when you really look at it. So if he's up against a guy whose main path to victory is a big knockout on somebody making a mistake, I think he's got a great chance. All right, well, we like him as an underdog, but our actual official underdog pick, because I guess we like it even more, is Gerald Mearshart, who's just a plus 110 over Ian Heinish. Why? Yeah, I like Gerald Mearshart against Ian Heinish because if you look at Ian Heinish, the fights he's been able to win, he's been able to bully his opponents a little bit, right? Like he beat uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. He beat Shoeface pretty much just by outscrambling him. And, you know, not for anything, Antonio Carlos Jr. is an amazing grappler, but he's a grappler who does well once he settles on the ground. He's not an amazing scrambler all the time. And if you look at somebody like Gerald Mearshart, if you stick your head in the wrong place for just a second, he has got amazing guillotine grip, and he snatches it up quick. And really, I see a huge path to victory here for him in grappling. And not for anything, Ian Heinish coming off back-to-back losses Gerald Mearshart is 2-1 in his last three, and if you count that split decision against Eric Anders, which I really believe he won, he's 3-0. So, like, we're talking about a guy here who could be on a three-fight win streak versus a guy who could be on a two-fight losing streak, and somehow he's the underdog. So, yeah, I I like Gerald Mearshart here, and I think he gets it done pretty easily. All right, call your bookie. Here's our parlay of the week. Charles Bird is a minus-165 favorite. Play them together with Neil Magny, another favorite at minus 150. It gives you plus 165 odds. So Charles Bird, Neil Magny, our parlay to play. Break it down. So Charles Bird, I really like in this one. He's a Fortis MMA guy. You know how I support Fortis MMA pretty wildly. I think I like him over Maki Pitolo here. Pitolo coming up a weight class. And Charles Bird's thing has always been he's got really great physicality. You know, he, he was really bodying Darren Stewart up before Darren Stewart landed the big knockout blow. I think here he probably just pressures Maki Pitolo, avoids the big shot, and wears him out. Especially being the much bigger guy with Maki Pitolo coming up a weight class. Neil Magny, on the other hand, is a guy who I feel like does not get enough credit for what he's done in this division. He is a, one of the toughest guys at welterweight. He's hard to put away unless you're going to submit him. And really, I can't imagine Anthony Rocco Martin being the one to take him down and submit him. 
On the other hand, I do see that Neil Magny could control this with his grappling. I think he could hold his own with his striking. So I see too many paths to victory for, for Neil Magny here. And at only negative 150, that's a great kind of number to put in a parlay. Similar with the negative 165 on Charles Bird. And, and, you know, plus money on a return on two guys who you can be pretty confident in. I think that's a smart play. Boom. Well, I'm pretty confident in the fact that this should be a sneaky good card. I know it doesn't have the star power on top you might be used to out of a numbered pay-per-view, but I'm pretty excited about it. You're going to have a lot of movement in the 135-pound division when this weekend is over. That's exciting to me. Everything's exciting to me when you've been in quarantine for three freaking months here. Uh, But I'm so appreciative of the fact that our UFC fights are still going on. Hit us up on our Twitter. Let us know what we got right. Let us know what we got wrong at Top Turtle MMA. Gumby, why don't you wrap things up for the show itself? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We wouldn't have a show without you guys. We also wouldn't have a show without Flow Combat, our mothership, or our two sponsors, Maroon Social and Battle Clan Gear. So thank you to both of you two. And I want to remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Top Turtle MMA on both platforms. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you then.